Welcome back to Brain Blaze, a weekly podcast about epilepsy, by people with epilepsy, for everyone. I'm David Clifford. In this episode, we talk about all things EEG and how it can be used to identify our different types of epilepsy. If you're new to Brain Blaze, I'm not a medical expert. I now use this podcast to share what I've learned through almost three decades of seizures. Have you ever jacked in? Have you ever wired tripped? You ready? Our brains have an estimated 200 billion neurons that communicate through electrical activity. Most of the people in our epilepsy community have already taken an EEG test. It is one of the first tests a neurologist prescribes to learn more about our seizures. Most of us know that there are many different types of epilepsies and seizures. An EEG is used to measure electricity in the brain to learn if our seizures are epileptic in nature. In a poll last year, the EEG was rated by our Twitter community as the most annoying of all the tests that we have to perform. Honestly, I voted for the MRI. Laying in that confined dark tube listening to that racket is liable to make anyone go nuts. If you haven't recognized the name, an EEG test is the one where tiny metal discs or electrodes are attached to the scalp. Tiny wires run from the electrodes to the electrocephalogram device that captures the small changes in the electrical signals coming from our brain. Our brain generates electrical signals all the time, even when we're sleeping. A neurologist arranges the captured data in what they call a montage. It presents a side-by-side comparison of the electrodes attached to the scalp. It is interesting to note that the EEG was invented for an entirely whole other purpose. In the early part of the last century, a young German military officer named Hans Berger was mounted on horseback during a training exercise. While he and his compatriots pulled a cannon, his horse suddenly Hans Berger fell to the ground right in front of the cannon. The men were able to stop the horse from pulling the cannon just in time before it rolled over the young Berger. That evening, while Berger contemplated how close he had come to death, he received a telegram from his family. In it, his sister said, I was overwhelmed this morning by a feeling that something terrible had happened to you. Later in his life, Hans Berger wrote, It was a case of spontaneous telepathy, in which at a time of moral danger, as I contemplated certain death, I transmitted my thoughts, while my sister, who was particularly close to me, acted as my receiver. Hans Berger became absolutely obsessed that he and his sister were somehow telepathically linked. Wonder Twin Powers activate! After finishing his military service, Hans Berger entered school, intent on detecting the source of this connection. He majored in psychiatry and neurology. For years, Hans Berger tried to make a contraption that could detect telepathic connections. He failed miserably. He finally settled in enhancing a device that measured the tiny electric variances on the human scalp in 1924. Once in a long while, there is a breakthrough tool that will define a whole industry. Obviously, Hans Berger failed to find his telepathic link with his sister. Because... There isn't one. However, he did open a new door to a whole new method to how the brain is studied. A carpenter uses a hammer. A traditional doctor uses a stethoscope. For neurologists, the electrocephalogram has become their quintessential tool. Without the EEG, neurologists literally would not know what is going on in our heads. When most people with epilepsy stare at EEG results, we see nothing more than squiggly lines. Is that the matrix? Yeah. Always look at it encoded? Well, you have to. The image translators work for the construct program. But there's way too much information to decode the matrix. You get used to it. I, I don't even see the code. All I see is blonde, brunette, redhead. On the other hand, a trained neurologist can use the same EEG data to detect the origination and movement of our seizures in our brains. 
I will admit that the first two times I watched a neurologist translate an EEG montage, it looked like watching people play with a Ouija board, but I kept with it. And after a few sessions, the EEG output started to make sense to me. Wow. He is the one. The EEG is a fantastic tool, but just like any other tool, it has its practical limits. In some cases, a standard short EEG test won't be able to detect epileptic data for someone who has epileptic seizures. Last season, we described how this might happen. Let's say a patient has a two-minute seizure once every week. The odds of the patient will have a full-blown seizure during a 10-minute EEG test is less than 0.1%. The odds that the patient has epileptic activity is, of course, higher than having a full-blown seizure. However, an EEG will often provide a false negative because it can only confirm that the patient experiences epileptic activity while the test is running. One thing that doctors can try to do to catch more epileptic activity is to keep the EEG attached longer. In an ambulatory EEG, after the electrodes are attached to the scalp, the wires are run to a smallish hard drive. The electrodes are worn for about three days or so while the person is sent home to go on with their daily life. Hopefully, as the EEG is worn, more data can be found, but what if no seizure activity is recorded? Video EEG at an epilepsy monitoring unit has quickly become the gold standard in epilepsy diagnosis. On BrainAplace.com, we have written the Inpatients Definitive Guide to Epilepsy Monitoring Units. It describes this whole process in detail. We'll include a link to it in our show notes. I've seen it at an epilepsy monitoring unit. Twice, actually. On the first day, I was attached to an EEG. David, now that we have you attached to an EEG, we would like for you to sit in this bed right here. See that little tiny camera? Uh, yeah. We will be monitoring you 24 seven. Uh, how long will I have to be here? How long will it take for me to have a seizure? Who knows? Hours, hopefully. Days, maybe. Everyone's different. And you really don't want me taking my anti-seizure medication? Don't worry. We will put you back on the meds before you leave. I wasn't worried about- We just want to do everything we can to coax a seizure. In the EMU, anything goes. For the first session, I stayed nine days at the epilepsy monitoring unit without capturing a seizure. Sure, we captured epileptic activity, but they had found that on an earlier ambulatory EEG. That nine-day seizure-free streak was the longest I had had in years, and it happened while I was in the epilepsy monitoring unit. Attached to the EEG while being monitored 24-7 in an epilepsy monitoring unit is probably the safest place you'll have a seizure. In fact, it's the only time that we at Brain Ablaze will hope you have a seizure. There's nothing worse to continue to have seizures without that data. A couple of years later, I was asked to perform a second stay in the epilepsy monitoring unit. This time, I was able to provide three seizures in five days. When I woke up from one of my tonic-clonic seizures, my doctor told me that the seizure they tracked went to 11. I immediately thought of, one louder. Why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder? These go to 11. After decades of thinking I had only tonic-clonic generalized seizures, I was surprised to hear that the video EEG had tracked a focal onset awareness seizure too. In fact, the video showed that I didn't even recognize that I was experiencing a seizure when it occurred. When all of the EEG data was correlated with the video, my doctors were able to determine that my seizure started in my right temporal lobe as a focal seizure and spread rapidly through my brain until it jumped to the other side, causing a generalized tonic-clonic seizure. I had finally given them the data they needed to determine the next steps in my treatment. Hey, wait up. I wasn't done. 
I will leave you with this last tip about EEGs. We all know how frustrating it is to deal with the glue from the electrodes. Always remember that use conditioner, not shampoo, to get out the EEG glue. It might take a handful of conditioner, far more than you might ever think you would need. Conditioner combined with a standard pocket comb, a lot of manual labor, and even more patience is your best bet to get all of that nasty flex out of your hair. Good luck! So have you had a long duration EEG? What did your doctors find? We would love to hear your story. We're always available for your comments or questions regarding this or any of our other episodes. You can always reach out to us via email at socialbrainplace.com or on Twitter at Brainplace. And if you like this episode, consider subscribing or even helping us by providing a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you download your content. One small click really does help. See you next time.